It's time for JT the Brick. So we are open for business again, everybody. I had a dream that someday we'd have a flagship station with the cooperation of the team and the fans that stream globally. JT the Brick. Are we all on board with that? Because if you're not on board with this, you're going to have to enter a mental asylum. If you're not on board with this, it's going to drive you nuts. Jackpot, baby! And now, here's JT the Brick. Out of the gate, JT with you in studio today, back from my European trip, and thrilled to be here on the flagship of the Silver and Black. Raider Nation Radio 920, thanks to the great Harry Ruiz, who I did not discover, but I knew he was going to take over for me when I was venturing out to the other side of the pond, and I hope you enjoy Harry. He'll be in for me tomorrow as I have a Raider MC event at the stadium, and we'll be here on Friday, and then we count down to the summer of Cliff. That's why I'm in today to make a big announcement on the flagship of the Raiders. Along with the Raiders, we'll be paying tribute to Cliff Branch all summer long in what we're calling the Summer of Cliff here on this show, and we will have Cliff Branch Hall of Fame content the rest of the summer. Thank God, because God knows we need something to talk about when it comes to this time. Everybody's gone. OTAs are over. Family vacations are kicking. Coaches are moving for real. Their kids and homes, and they're moving into their houses. And it's kind of a shutdown period, but I can't do that. i got to do radio and keep it informative and entertaining for you, keep you engaged in the show. So what we'll do is we know this is the summer of Cliff, so at least two to three guests a week of former teammates and coaches of Cliff Branch. I think that's a great idea, so do the Raiders, because as I've been telling everybody, that this is the biggest Raider Hall of, a- Hall of Fame event of all time. It is. They're going in huge because of Mark Davis, his generosity, being best friends when Cliff was alive, his best friend, and they're going in big. So I think we're going to go big. So what we're going to do the rest of the summer from, I don't even know what date it is. I'm still eight hours ahead. Uh, it's June 15th till camp starts around July. What is it, 15, 16? We got about a month. And then right after camp gets going, the first game is the Hall of Fame game where Cliff Branch gets inducted that weekend. There's going to be a heavy dose of Cliff. And I think you'll all agree you'll enjoy that, right? To hear about Cliff Branch. He's not alive, but he's our friend, and he's looking down on us, and we want to give him the party he deserves. So that's our programming going forward for about a month with whatever else happens from the NBA Finals to the Stanley Cup Finals. The Golden Knights hired a new head coach. That's a big story today, and we'll talk about that. As we are ready for Cassidy, the new coach coming in here, and we'll see what he can do. We will see what he can do because Bruce Cassidy has a track record recently of taking a team to a Stanley Cup final, several playoff appearances, but that's kind of what the Golden Knights had a track record of the last time I looked, right? They, they had Peter DeBoer, who's gone to the playoffs multiple times. Gerard Gallant, how'd that work out? Took the Rangers to the conference finals and took VGK to the Stanley Cup. So there's a new coach lined up. I will give Mr. Foley credit in the organization. Money is not an object with this team. Whatever player you are, whoever you are, they will bring you here to try to win the Cup. Last year was, uh, I would say, a disaster to see this team not make the playoffs. So when that happens, 
Coaches, remember that old story. Coaches don't buy houses, they rent. Because you can win the cup and two years later get fired or be on the hot seat. It's not like that in any other sport. The NBA, all that everybody does is just hire their friends. I call it the regurgitation of the middle-aged white man. Yeah, Stan Van Gundy, Scott Skiles, come on down again. Alvin Gentry, you've been fired six times. Hey, you be a head coach. And we've run out of coaches in sports. That's always been my theory. We've run out of coaches. There are no more. Only people who get jobs in sports have been fired seven times. Unless you find some great college coach. And now college coaches in football, they don't want to go to the NFL because they're making just as much in college and they don't have the heat on them. They just got to recruit, win games, and deal with kids and parents. They don't have the pressure of the NFL. So we're going to get into that topic today and tomorrow. We're hopefully going to get the coach on tomorrow from what they're telling me because we do a lot of Golden Knights here and along with Raiders here on the Raiders flagship. Vince Evans will join us at the bottom of the hour. Former Raider quarterback, really highly regarded as a human being, more so than a football player. All of his accomplishments in his life. Played with the L.A. Oakland Raiders from 87 through 95. The Chicago Bears. And his run, almost 10,000 yards there. And a guy was a backup for a lot of his career. And when he had an opportunity to start, he played well in some big games. So we'll talk to Vince at the bottom of the hour. Kurt Heelan. The basketball insider at NBC on the Warriors going into Game Seven. Excuse me, Game Six tomorrow night against the Celtics, an elimination game for the Celtics if they don't win. Top of the hour, one of my great friends, mentors, Lou DeBella. Lou DeBella is the newest member of the International Boxing Hall of Fame. The promoter was the vice president of HBO Sports when boxing exploded. A Harvard grad who grew up on the streets of Brooklyn. It will be an inspiring interview. This guy will motivate you to run through a wall. Lou DeBella is a fabulous guy. Haven't talked to him on the radio in five, six, seven years. Looking forward to that conversation. And then Darren Millard will check in from the Vegas Golden Knights broadcast. Our teammate here. And we'll talk to him about the Vegas Golden Knights new hire, as we mentioned. And we'll see what Mr. Cassidy could do to turn this organization around. A lot of travel. I just got back from Amsterdam and London and Liverpool, or as they say over there, Liverpool, and had one of the most remarkable trips of my life. This was a, 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 a vacation slash birthday for my wife two years ago that got canceled. Two years ago, we were going to go travel and see the Rolling Stones in Europe as a birthday present, but COVID canceled it. So we saved the tickets, and we kind of knew where we were going to go, and boom, their summer European tour hit, so we decided to go back and had a magical time. Problem was, Mick Jagger got COVID. As I was standing outside the stadium in Amsterdam the other night, really two nights ago, as we were about to walk in, I was totally juiced up, had passes coming out to me, ready to go in for one of the great nights of my life. And what are the odds that your boy JT is on the footprint where the greatest front man in the history of rock and roll, no debate, ends up getting COVID at 78 years old? Fortunately, I saw him three nights before that in Liverpool. All my videos are up at JT the Brick on Facebook. Tweeted some of them out, and that was fantastic. We flew into London. We spent a couple hours in London where all they're talking about is live golf. See the billboards for live golf. I'll get into that a little bit later on the show. We took the train from London all the way up to Liverpool, home of the Beatles. Stayed at the Beatles Hotel. A hard day's night. Okay, that's the name of the hotel. And it's all Beatles, Bobby. You'd get a trip out of it. So you walk in, and you're in the lobby, and it's just Beatles. You go to breakfast, it's Beatles. You're in your room, it's Paul McCartney over your bed. Incredible. 
and we were about 100 yards away from the Cavern Club where the Beatles got their start, which to me is better than I've been to Graceland with Elvis just blows it away. So we spent a night down there seeing some live music, bumped into some Raider fans who were also there, which was really cool. Uh, then we took the train after we went to the concert. The concert was at Anfield, home of Liverpool Soccer Club, which was great to get that off my bucket list and go to one of the great, great stadiums in the world. Saw the stones on the floor right up against the stage. Mick was amazing. Keith was amazing. Keith Richards hadn't played in Amsterdam since 1971, and it's 2022. So that was an historic milestone for the stones. Then we went on the tour of the Beatles' homes. We went to John Lennon's boyhood home and Paul McCartney's. You want to talk about something cool. The neighborhood that they're in where they wrote all the songs and we took the bus tour, got off at Penny Lane and went to Strawberry Fields, the real Strawberry Fields. That was remarkable. Man, you don't have to, everybody's a Beatles fan at some level. And to have that and to kind of see how far Ringo's house was to John and walking distance to Paul's, that was cool. The pubs were great. And then we flew out of there, went to Amsterdam for four nights and got there on the canals of Amsterdam. And that was just life changing. Never been there before. Never seen a city like that. Never had a more relaxed time in a city to see the beauty of a 17th century city that is so alive. It's what San Francisco should be. That's what I kept saying. I was sitting out at the cafes having a beverage and looking out, and I'm going, this is what San Francisco is supposed to be. And Amsterdam was incredible, and we had an unbelievable time for a number of nights there. And then we just flew back yesterday and got in in time for me to host my SiriusXM show and be here today. And it was a nice trip. Again, thanks to Harry Ruiz for sitting in. He'll be in here tomorrow, too, as we get rolling. Love to hear from you on what you've been up to, Raider fans. If you got anything you want to add from OTAs, I'm going to get into that right here. What you think is now the break for the Raiders before they get ready for training camp. This is my 24th year with the team. I know the calendar better than anybody on the radio. I know what happens from June to July. Guys go home. Fortunately, the Raider players live here now, and the coaches are here. And they'll work out, and they'll keep their cardio up, but there's no football. There's no football until training camp opens, and then we dive into what will be six days a week, from Sunday hosting the pre- and post-game show, all day game day, to Monday to Friday, and that's where we earn our living here hard, and we get ready for that, which is really coming around the corner. I mentioned the Hall of Fame game. The Raiders start their preseason before anybody else, which I think is going to be a challenge. It is going to be a challenge because they're going to be playing longer and they're going to have to stay healthier and avoid some injuries. Then we have the Hall of Fame game in Cliff Branch, and then right after that, the preseason schedule, and then we get into the regular season, which is a bear. As we went over the schedule, the preseason, I don't know who's going to play. You don't know who's going to play. We have no idea. Then the regular season is going to jump all over the Raiders, and they got to be ready to throw a punch. Raiders got to be ready in Los Angeles against the Chargers to throw a haymaker punch and knock Justin Herbert down. Knock him down. And then after that, Kyler Murray comes in. And he's a hell of a player. That guy can run for 130 yards in a game. And and that comes in. And then the Raider Nation, as we travel, I'll be going. A lot of Raider uh, fan clubs uh, get in touch with me as we're going to Nashville, which what I think is going to be. New Orleans is a huge trip. New Orleans is a huge trip, but Nashville now is popping as good as anything New Orleans can do. 
It is. Nashville's Broadway and that city and the proximity for Raider fans to get to Nashville is a big deal. And we're going to see what happens as the Raiders open up the season with some pretty tough games. And they got to be ready to play. So as I was on the plane, 10, and a, 10 hours, 50-minute flight. Ooh, I was reading a lot of content, and I circled uh, to Sean Reed's athletic column, which I looked at, and I thought it was really good about the 10 things that he's seen uh, throughout the OTAs. And I circled a couple of things that I want to talk about here in the monologue. Brought to you by PT's Best Happy Hour in Town, 5 to 7, midnight to 2. I'll be getting out to the SG Bar in the next couple of nights to watch some sports, maybe the NBA Finals, the SG Bar at the top of the 215 and Flamingo. Great place for food, beverages, and that happy hour, 5 to 7, midnight to 2. So here's my takeaway from OTAs. And being in the building a couple of days, not out at practice because of the time slot that the show's on. Really, the OTAs have been about this community now of happy Raiders. Everybody's happy, which is great. There was chaos off the field last year in this organization. The Henry Ruggs car accident that killed Tina Tintor. Chaos. Damon Arnett brandishing a weapon and getting kicked out of the sport pretty much and being done. Right? John Gruden, friend of the show, having to resign due to emails that surfaced from the Washington football organization, the commanders at that time. You could never, in an NFL season, never compare what happened to the Raiders last year. And the Raiders won 10 games. 10. And I think they should have beat Cincinnati. I really do, if you go back to that game. And and they were just as good as the team that almost won the Super Bowl. So with all the chaos that went on last year... The Raiders have a flip now to a new organization. Literally a new organization from executives coming in and a football organization on the other side of the building led by Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels. They come in and they start bringing in their own players, which happens in every business. If you are the CEO and you take over a Fortune 500 company, the first thing you're going to do is come in there as the CEO and get rid of the vice presidents and bring in your friends. That's what you do in life and everything. You bring in the people that you're comfortable with. And the Patriot way, coming out to Las Vegas, they brought in several Patriots, some coaches they're familiar with, and now they have set the organization up for what they believe will be a run of greatness. It'll be a consistent run of building an organization the way that these gentlemen believe they should build it, along with the approval of Mark Davis to make this thing really cook for a number of years. Not, you know, every two years or every three years. They want to be competitive. And what they did after that was they started adding players. Well, I look at what they've added, and it's damn impressive for an offseason. I mean, to add Chandler Jones and Devontae Adams, you would have to say that those two players combined are on any list of top five players that a team could get, period. So the Raiders have that, and as I said, I think the Raiders won the offseason including bringing in Rakia Sin and some other players and some depth positions along the way. So I like that. I think the Raiders have had a quiet offseason bringing in some superstars, some star players who have to win. They didn't bring in Chandler Jones for three years from now. They didn't bring in you know, a great player like Devontae Adams to win three years from there. They are ready to win now. So they're able to do that, and now they're just adding pieces along the way, piece after piece. But what I noticed in this column in The Athletic and what I've been reading, everything circles back still to Alex Leatherwood. Everything circles back to him. And I'm reading this column, which is really well written. I'm like, wow, look at this. 
Everything I'm reading about the Raiders has to do with this one guy. A guy who was taken in the first round, an Outland Trophy winner, who's supposed to be a starter and be an elite player, and he's not. But it seems like he's handling his coaching at a very good high level. He's getting better every day is the quote. Each day he wants to get better. New coaches here. Tom Cable's gone. was very good on the offensive line. John Gruden, who went out and got him, when you looked at Mike Mayock and what they did, they believed in him. There were a lot of people in the building that believed in him. If you agree with that or not, that's a fact. And now because of his contract and the fact that he's a first-round pick, this is what Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler have to deal with. Is the player good enough to play and make the team, let alone good enough to start? And that, to me, is a core issue this offseason. The development of Alex Leatherwood, who I believe all Raider fans should get behind. I mean, you don't want to tear the guy down, do you? You don't want to go on social media and make it more difficult for him. Kid's tough as nails. He played for Nick Saban at Alabama. He won the Outland Trophy. Do you know what that Outland Trophy looks like on a mantle? Along with the national championship? This guy's no joke. But he has to transition to the NFL and become an elite player. Not a good player. He needs to be elite because that's why they drafted him. Go back to the bust that was Trent Brown and what they're trying to figure out at right tackle, and that's still a concern. I have said before, and I am surprised that the Raiders don't have a new veteran right tackle. I'm surprised by that because I know they have the money and they can do the deal and they just have to find the right player. That deal should happen because of the fact that other teams are going to have a cut down. So it could have happened earlier in June, but it's probably going to happen when training camp happens and rosters get cut down at 53. I think the Raiders have to pivot and pounce and get the best right tackle that gets cut. And hopefully he comes in here quickly and he either takes that job or he's on the roster in case Leatherwood can't get it done. The rest of the offensive line is still a work in progress other than Colton Miller. So no one around the league from Pro Football Focus, ESPN, Yahoo Sports, anybody I look at and dive into a portal and read about respects the Raiders' offensive line. They just don't. There's no one in the league that respects the Raiders' offensive line. And I believe that Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels are aware of the outside noise, and they're going to try to fix it on their terms, which has to do with money, getting the right player, youth or a veteran, and they're going to figure it out. I trust these guys. They're going to get the player in here that can do that. Or Leatherwood is just going to step up and play at a much higher level, and you don't have to worry about that position anymore. So then as I looked at Deshaun Reed's column on this, really well thought out at The Athletic. If you haven't subscribed, you should. You get Vic Tafer on top of that, and he's a great insider for the team. You know, the team's roster is pretty much set. And as I circled the players who are the most important on this team, it's a bigger number than I can recall being around this organization for maybe 10 to 12 years. You could even go back to when the Raiders made the playoffs when Derek Carr broke his leg and go position by position and say that this roster is better than that. So I did. I went back to 2010. I went back to 2016. I went back to 2020 and compared my depth charts and my notes to this team here. And I noticed a couple of important things. First off, they have more stars who are young that have their best football in front of them. That would include the quarterback, Derek Carr. That should include the running back, Josh Jacobs, who I put on the list. Out of respect to Josh and his last four games last year and his unbelievable career so far, he's had a good career. He's not Tony Dorsett. He's not Earl Campbell. He's not Marcus Allen. 
but he's off to a, a good start. He didn't have his contract extended, his rookie contract. But overall, I'm putting him on the list. Then you got Colt Miller on the left side. I'm putting him on the list of star players, Pro Bowl capability. Devontae Adams, congratulations to Hunter Renfro while I was away. He got the contract extension. Eddie Pascal did a great interview with him. You can find it at Raiders.com. So you have him. So you got Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro, Colt Miller, Josh Jacobs, Derek Carr. Derek Carr, who I believe is on the verge of being elite. I don't put him in the elite category, nor do you. He's not elite. Elite quarterbacks are Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. Sorry, you're not on that list. But Derek's young, and he's getting better. Then Darren Waller, elephant in the room. What do you do with Darren? Do you pay him now? Or do you have him play another year to prove that he could stay on the field and do this? I don't get, in t- I don't get involved in Darren's money. You know, if it was my money, I'd give it all to him. I'd be like, you're the best. Love everything about you. Go take the money. You deserve it. But that's not my job here. But I'm putting Darren Waller on that elite list. That's a lot of guys I've mentioned so far, isn't it? They didn't, they don't, that's seven guys I mentioned so far. On the defensive side of the ball, Chandler Jones and Max Crosby. Chandler Jones has got more sacks than anyone since 2012 for a decade, and reports are he's in unbelievable shape. He's a monster. Then you got Max Crosby, who was extended and is elite. Wasn't what? Wasn't supposed to be elite. He was not drafted to be elite. He was drafted to be a guy. He's going to compete. He's going to be a good player. Let's see what he can do. Now he's elite. He's a pro bowler. I'm going to put Denzel Perryman on this list because he made the pro bowl, and he's a very good active tackler, which is very important because this organization has swung and missed at that very catchphrase. Great active tackler. This team just doesn't do that. They don't tackle well. They haven't tackled well for a long time. I'm going to put Perryman on that list. And that's about it. I can't go any farther than that. I like Trayvon Merrick a lot. Jonathan Abrams on a prove-it year deal. Rocky Sin, haven't seen him play yet, other than some film on him. Trayvon Mullen can't stay healthy. He's coming off surgery. We wish him well. And then the defensive tackles, they brought in a bunch of guys who got to prove it. From rookies, big John Hankins got to stay healthy. He's not an elite player. He's a good player. So I, I, Bobby said I, I mentioned 10. I thought I had nine players. I mentioned 10. But here's where it gets good. We go from 10 to 12, Carlson and Cole. Pro Bowl punter and should be a Pro Bowl kicker. So I ain't got 12 out of 22 guys. And I didn't get to, you know, Robinson, Drake, haven't gotten to both the guys who were in here that were added in who are some pretty good players overall. So I think that this has been an outstanding offseason for the Raiders in regards to activity. Activity to upgrade the roster going into training camp. Would you agree with me? 702-365-9200. Now, that is glass half full. There are times where I'm really negative about certain players. You ever hear me talk about Trent Brown live on the pregame show inside the stadium? And I, if I say something positive about a player, I'm on the payroll of the team, I guess. So I just gave you what I got. I unloaded on who's here. Those, those, those 12 guys that I mentioned... Don't have to try out. They don't have to prove anything. We just got to keep them healthy. Oh, oh, right. Oh, no. We got to keep them healthy. Another problem around this place the last couple of years. Can we get some guys healthy? How long did we have to wait for Richie Incognito? When did Trent Brown ever play? Who was healthy? Who wasn't? Nicholas Morrow. Supposed to be where the C, be a great new? No. I don't take the bait on this. 
I can't. You got to get healthy. So how do you get these guys healthy? Cardio? Weight room? Or do you want them in pads? Because you don't get them in pads anymore. They're not allowed to play football anymore. They're not allowed to practice. They're only allowed to be in pads a couple of times a month. Not a week, a month. They can only be in pads. So do you shut them down? You get their cardio up. You get them in the weight room. What, what do you do? How do you handle this? Because the season's long. The bye week's early. The schedule's brutal. You still got to get a couple of new players coming in. And you got to coach up the players that are here that you're paying for. And you can't get rid of them because of the contracts they had before Dave Ziegler got here. So to wrap up the monologue, brought to you by Remy Martin, Team Up for Excellence. To wrap this up, I think that this has been an unbelievably successful offseason considering what happened last year, which could have put the team in chaos, absolute chaos, but thanks to Rich Passaccia, the coaching staff that's no longer here, the players who stepped up, the Raiders won 10 games. The Raiders are getting no love in regards to being around the league. No one's talking about them as being a playoff team. Uh, Vegas, I came back from my trip, still at 8.5. Eight and a half wins on the season total. That's not at nine yet. No one thinks they can win ten. So the disrespect and chip on their shoulder will be there the entire offseason. Lastly, really important point, last final point on this. This is now a monster year for the Raider fans. I'm going to turn up the heat in the kitchen a little bit louder this year. Okay? We're going to turn it up a little bit louder as we prep this show. We put in all our insiders. We're scheduling everything. I think it's really important that Raider fans step up their game this year and make sure they take over Allegiant Stadium. That'll be a topic that brews with me all the time. Uh, There's a lot of people that want your tickets. There's a lot of opposing fans that want your tickets. There's a lot of opposing fans that heard how great this stadium is, have been on a tour, have been on a tour of it and want to come see their team here. And the tailgating needs to step up. The tailgating needs to step up. That means we have to have bigger, better tailgates, fans staying and tailgating and getting inside and roaring when they come into the building and make it the place it should be, which is probably the nicest stadium in all professional sports right now. It's the sweet spot the first eight, nine years, and we're going into year three, year one without fans. Year two was amazing with all those dramatic wins. Now this year, we all, all of us have to elevate our game. All right, I'm done. Where are you? Let's go. Thank Harry Ruiz if you don't want to talk to me. You want to wait You want to wait till August to talk to me? I'm cool with that. But thank Harry Ruiz for stepping up. 702-365-9200. Vince Evans, former pro football quarterback who played for the Raiders in some big games. He'll join us. And then Kurt Heelan from NBC on Game 6. Maybe we'll talk some dubs today. Do they win it all? This JT the Brick Legends moment is brought to you by M Resort, the official team headquarters hotel of the Las Vegas Raiders. I won't use the word prove myself. Um, and, and as far as anxiety, yeah, of course. I mean, I get butterflies before practice today. I get butterflies every day. And that just shows that I love the game. I love the sport. I want to do well. Um, and like I said, it's a new team. You know, there's new coaches. There's new scouts. There's a new staff. Like I said, I know a lot of guys from the staff, but... Um, I don't want to go in front of these guys and say, hey, you know what I can do. You saw me a few years ago, or you saw me in ESPN. You saw me 2019, I had 19 seconds. I mean, what have you done for me lately? 
And what can you do for me now? And I know that, I understand that. So um, I take pride in my work and I, I come to work every day uh, with a smile on my face, but also to perfect my craft. That is Chandler Jones. You got to love that sound by JT. Back with you. We are brought to you by M Resort Spa and Casino. As we bring in former Raiders, former Hall of Famers, former members of the organization, Vince Evans is kind enough to join us, former NFL quarterback and quarterback for the Silver and Black. Vince, good to talk to you again. How you been? And you as well, JT. I've been great. Thank you so much for uh, having me on your show. Uh, thrilled to talk to you. Thrilled to talk to you. Raider fans have so much respect for you. i got to begin by talking about the early years in Greensboro, North Carolina, and how you got to USC. That recruiting train that you play in USC, the MVP of the Rose Bowl, which I think from talking to Jim Plunkett, who did it at Stanford, that's got to be one of the coolest trophies of all time. It's a very cool trophy. In, in fact, I have it. I'm looking at it right now. My brother, my brother had it uh, in the house that we grew up in there in Greensboro, and it, it was tarnished to you couldn't even recognize what it looked like. And he, he was kind enough to send it out here to me. I live here in, uh, in Southern California in Whittier, mm-hmm. and I'm looking at it right now, uh, JT, and it's looking really good. But the pathway that led me to uh, Southern California. I grew up in, in Greensboro, uh, North Carolina, and my family and I were watching a uh, college game. It was USC playing US, I'm sorry, UCLA for a birth to go to the Rose Bowl. Capacity crowd in the Coliseum. They gave the ball, Steve Soggy gave the ball to this pretty average running back at the time. I don't know if you ever heard of him. His name was O.J. Simpson. <laughs> And O.J. makes this 64-yard touchdown run to win the game for USC. The crowd just erupted, this beautiful Arabian white horse galloping around the Coliseum floor. And I told my dad, who was sitting next to me, I said, Dad, that's the school I'm going to someday. And he looked at me in a a momentary uh, time of silence and said, Boy, you have lost your mind. (laughs) But what ended up happening is uh, I had some friends of mine that were in Southern California, and they were going to a Los Angeles City College. We had some recruits that were interested in signing us uh, to go to to some neighboring schools uh, in the North Carolina area. But my mind was set on going to USC, so my mother gave me her last $50. I had a one-way ticket. I had one suitcase. And I ventured out to uh, Los Angeles, enrolled in L.A. City College. They hadn't been to a championship uh, game in like 42 years, and we went to the all-time great Potato Bowl (laughs) 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 up in in Bakersfield. And and, uh, but after that game, you know, I was elected as the most valuable player, and. And uh, a scout from USC came up and said, Vince, we'd love for you to come to our school, man. So it, it was like a boyhood dream come true. And um, from there, I, um, you know, played behind Pat Hayden and, and, uh, and was just enamored with all the tradition of, of USC and the pageantry and, and them playing in Rose Bowls. And so, uh, but things didn't always go great from the beginning. You know, I, I got a lot of uh, uh, unfortunate hate mail because uh, I think in the history of the school, they only, they only had like, uh, let's see, I think four African-American quarterbacks, and I was the third in the chain, and uh, there were many of the folks there uh, were not happy that I was 
the starting quarterback. But we ended up, uh, I had a great coach in both uh, John McKay and John Robinson, and wow. they didn't care about that stuff. They put the best people on the field, and, uh, and that's what uh, Coach Robinson did. We lost our first game against Missouri and then went on to uh, win 11 or 10 straight and then played Michigan in the Rose Bowl and was very fortunate and blessed to be on such a great team and so many guys and and uh, to play in that Rose Bowl was outstanding. Vince Evans is our guest. What a story. What a path in life. You know, I'm good friends with Warren Moon, and I know you know Warren well, and I talked to yeah. him about the issues of race and what held him back. What a brilliant talent, just like you. He has to go and play in the Canadian Football League, and he should yeah. have been a first pick overall with those skills and the <laughs> skill set. How did you handle that hate mail? And people yeah. t- wondering if you could play the position, because you were playing the position at a high level for the Trojans on the biggest stage yeah well you know i was fortunate enough to albeit grew up in the south where uh, there, there was racism that that took place but i was just so blessed to to have parents um that gave us a perspective that let us know that no one was better than you and you were better than no one else that we were all god's creation and and it was that with that kind of mindset of of interacting with uh with uh, with other people that didn't look like me, I went to school with uh, with the in during integration, and so there was um, while there was some tension, there was also a lot of good things that happened. In fact, all of my coaches were were white and and uh, they just were fair. They were good people. They were hardworking people and and decent people. And uh, and so when I was faced with those kinds of things, I. I just didn't pay a whole lot of attention to it because I felt like I was equipped with the right perspective to to know how to to deal with those issues. You treat mm-hmm. people the way that you want to be treated, and uh, for those that don't accept that, then you know there's so many other people that you can you can build relationships with. Vince Evans is our guest. So you run with the Chicago Bears, 77 through 83, some epic games, and then the blitz of Chicago and the Denver goal before you end up with the L.A. Raiders. And I remember, you know, with the history of the Raiders, the wars, they didn't play in the same conference, but when the Raiders played the Bears, those games were bloodbaths, some of the most tough and difficult games the league has seen. What did Mr. Davis think of you, and what were those conversations like from 1983 until you came to the Raiders in 87 and he had his eye on you? Well, I think having had the opportunity to, uh, to talk with Mr. Davis once I got the, the chance to be on the team, uh, he had brought to my remembrance the first time that he had witnessed me, and that was when we had played in Oakland Alameda Stadium there, uh, where I was on the Bears uh, team at the mm-hmm. time, and, and we were playing the Silver and Black, and, and uh, you know, we, we, we came out victorious, and I uh, had a, you know, really good game, and, and uh, I think that when it came time for me to, uh, I think the, uh, the uh, the USFL had shut down, and I was out of ball for a couple of years, and and uh, and then I played during the strike season, and it was no guarantee that uh, that you know I was going to be retained uh, once the strike was over, and so Mr. Davis, uh, you know, kept me on the team, and and he brought to my attention that one of the things that he admired about me was my ability to to throw the deep ball, and and. Uh, to make plays outside of the pocket. So uh, I was really grateful for that. 
And, uh, and by the way, you know, growing up in Greensboro, you know, the Raiders were like one of my favorite teams. I mean, it was between them and the Baltimore Colts. You know, mm-hmm. I was a Johnny Unitas fan, but I was also a Daryl LaMonica fan in that, you know, I love throwing the deep ball. And, and during that era, nobody threw it better than him. Uh, to Warren Wells, uh, many times I saw him hitting him in the corner of the end zone or on a long, deep pass. And so I was, uh, the, the Raiders were always one of my favorites. And so it was, it was truly a delight to be a part of that organization. Yeah, we just lost Daryl LaMonica, as you know, who passed yeah. away. And I want to wrap this up, Vince, because we're kicking off the summer of Cliff. We're doing a tribute to Cliff Branch on the way to Canton. And I just wanted to get your impression of Cliff as a human being, as a teammate, what Cliff meant to you and his impact on the Raider organization and, you know, when you were visiting the Raiders or coming back as an alumni, what that friendship meant? Well, Cliff Branch was a, you know, class individual. I didn't get a chance to really know him very well, but his presence obviously was, was, was known uh, not only during his playing days, but after his playing days, the times that I did uh, see him, and speak to him. He was always so gracious, so humble, so professional, and uh, he will certainly be be missed as as a Raider uh, historical player. Uh, tell me what's going on with you and your family now. Uh, let's give a shout out to the family, kids, everything that's going on with your life today. Yeah, my life is good. I got four kids. They're all doing well uh, and uh, working and being productive and. Uh, uh, I've been in the real estate development business for, for many years, still in that business and also in the, in the manufacturing business. So God is good and, and life is good and very, very much appreciative. Vince, I hope we see you out here in Vegas, especially with the schedule this year and your close proximity and what the alumni think of you and the alumni department. So please come on out and uh, let us host you and let's see you at a couple of games. I will certainly do that, and thank you so much for, for having me on today and just uh, really appreciate you know, being a part of, of the Raider Nation. You got it. There he is, Vince Evan. What a pleasure to talk to that gentleman. What a life. Uh, the Rose Bowl MVP, that's one of the greatest honors you can have in all of college football, period. The Rose Bowl MVP, he has that. Nearly played 20 years as a professional quarterback in both the United States Football League and the NFL, and really – a Raider that the alumni and this organization and Mr. Davis, Mrs. Davis, and Mark care a lot about. Thanks to Vince Evans, brought to you by M Resort Spa and Casino. Head out and out to the Raiders Tavern and Grill. We get an NBA hit coming up with Kurt Heelan, one of the best insiders in basketball. He joins us next. Ball to Draymond. Draymond looks for a wing. Nobody moving. Curry back cuts on White. Takes the jumper. Got it! Curry for three. Warriors have doubled their advantage. A 10-0 run of the Celtics. What time? That is Tim Roy, voice of the Warriors. And he will not call the game in Boston. He has COVID. I was in Amsterdam two nights ago. Mick Jagger canceled right in front of me with COVID. Dr. Fauci today has COVID. Wow. And the NBA Finals is going on. Uh, Be careful out there, everybody, as Kurt Heelan joins us, the insider from NBC Sports. As we begin, that doesn't seem like a huge topic, Kurt, as it was a few years ago, where you go, oh, my God, if a player gets COVID right now, he won't be able to play for the finals or play in the bubble. Is that something we're overlooking here? Is it a big topic? A little bit. I mean, Adam Silver was not a big (laughs) topic. 
he is out with COVID. Um, and, you know, so it could be, it could be Mark Tatum handing the trophy off if, if, if Golden State wins in game six. It, it is something, it's kind of interesting. They, you know, you only report now, you're kind of supposed to, if you've got symptoms, you're supposed to get tested. Right. I'm, I'm really curious how that's going. Like, I'm really curious. I'm not sure. I'm not saying any players do or don't have it, but there have been reports that the day after the Suns were eliminated, a couple of their players tested positive, or, or at least a player and a bunch of their staff. People tested positive. They just weren't going to. They weren't going to get tested during this. So it's. I'm curious how that's going to go down. Also, like how they're going to handle that next season. Like, like what are the rules going to be? Absolutely. Let, tell me about Game 5 and what happened there with Wiggins and Steph combining for zero made threes and for them to win by double digits. I mean, I'm calling it as I see it. I don't think this is a great NBA Finals because every game has been decided by double digits or more. So we don't have any competitive games. And the star factors are there. The storylines are unbelievable. But the games haven't been that competitive. How do you see it? Uh, it's been entertaining, but it hasn't been. You're right. It has. We haven't had that one close finish. I mean, we've had fourth quarter comebacks, but it's led to the final minutes of the games being. You know, there's been a lot more garbage time in this NBA Finals than anyone I can remember. And guys don't. Look, coaches don't give up in this setting, right? Like, you're not throwing in your, your end of the bench guys until that final minute. But there's been more of that in this series. Just, um, it, it's been kind of interesting, and I don't know if that's. And there's been a little more of it, I think, in the NBA playoffs, and I don't know if that's just guys are taking more threes, so you kind of get that that variance, that swing with who's hitting their shots. But mm-hmm. I think the fact that the Warriors won that game on an off Steph Curry night because their defense was good enough, because Wiggins had 25, because Clay Thompson stepped up, I think it was for 21, because their role guys made plays, that I just think bodes well for them because you. I both know. Steph Curry's pissed, man. He's going to come out and just rain threes on people pretty soon. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Curry's going to Curry's going to at least want to show the world that he's coming out there and he's looking to bounce back. I, I agree with you 100%. Kurt Heelan joins us, NBC Sports. Follow him on Twitter. It's easy, at Basketball Talk. Just click the follow. You'll get more content than anybody out there. So I, I think the philosophy is what I've been telling you about throughout this series and before it started, that Emi Adoka's got to find a way to tell his players to attack Draymond. Draymond needs to go to the bench. He's a hothead. He can get in foul trouble. He recently fouled out. I don't think they have a chance if Draymond's got three fouls with the fourth quarter coming up. They have got to put some duress on Draymond Green. I think the crowd's going to be ridiculous, the profanity, the level of intensity raining down on that team. And I think that the Celtics got to go right at Draymond and poke the grizzly bear. How do you see it? I think that they can. The problem is Looney's played so well, it hasn't been as effective a tool Mm -hmm. as you would hope. Uh, Remember, key moments of Game 4, when they were needing a comeback, they they left Green on the bench. They left Looney out there because it was more effective that night. Now, that was a bad Draymond game, but he is he's capable of those, and I don't know that they've exploited them when they've happened because I don't know if they're so focused on going after... uh, Steph Curry, just to wear him out, and also he's one of the you know weaker defenders out there. He's not a terrible defender, but he's one of the weaker guys out there. And then the second Jordan Poole steps on the floor, like the Celtics are going right at him. But it's not been enough. And, and part of it is just also poise. The championship medal, 
the ability to handle pressure, whatever you want to call it, JT, when that has happened, when something's happened, the Warriors have been able to raise their game a level, particularly defensively. They have been able to find another gear and make some plays and make Jason Tatum play in a crowd and force some turnovers, and the Celtics haven't. And I don't know, I, I think that's more a function of just a young team that hasn't been on the stage before. They just haven't had to do it. They haven't had to learn how to do it. They'll be better next time. But right now, when there's real pressure out there, it's the, it's the Warriors who are the poised team. Kurt Heelan is our guest. So let's get into keys to this game because this is such a legacy play. It's incredible. This would be if the Warriors win their fourth title in eight years, which could be the beginning of a new dynasty. I don't think they could be remain a dynasty. They haven't been in the playoffs last year, but some people will add to it. Four and eight years is good enough. And if the Celtics force game seven, if they force game seven, everybody's got to get on a plane at Logan Airport and fly as far as you can fly west to play in another game. And both teams, especially the Warriors, have aging players. That's going to put enormous pressure on Steve Kerr, Curry, Clay in that building there. So I think the Celtics deserve to be a favorite. I had the Warriors in six. But I like the Celtics now in this game because I think they're going to play hard. I think the refs are going to get involved in this game. Do you think it'll be a close one? Do we have the classic game coming up here? I think so. I think that you're going to see a more desperate Celtics team. That with they played their best when their backs are against the wall. They have been in two seven game series in the, in these playoffs before. And remember, the Warriors have had chances to close out um, games on the you know, close out series on the road, including last series against the um, against the Grizzlies, and didn't. Now it's a little different when you're up three one. Right, and you're coming home. You know, you lose five, but you come home for six, and you've got it. This, like you said, they know that game seven is lurking, and game sevens, man, when you when it's suddenly one and done, it's what we love about the NCAA tournament. But it's it's because weird things can happen, right? Like mm-hmm. role players can get hot, random stuff happens. The Warriors would very much like to avoid that. <laughs> I, I think that you're going to see some intensity from both sides mm-hmm. tonight. I, I expect a really a really physical game and a really, I, like you said, I'm, I'm expecting a close game. I think the key comes back to how look, the Warriors are playing great defense. How do the Celtics mm-hmm. handle it specifically? Are they turning the ball over? Yeah, like, they, I, I, I'm, not the only, I'm not the only person saying that. It's obviously everybody's saying this, but it truly is the stat. When the Warriors get the turnover, 16 or more turnovers, when they get out and run, they win when it's when the Celtics limit the turnovers and keep this as a grinding half court game. Their size and athleticism wins out. Last topic, I think it's an important one. I had a caller on the show last night give me his top ten players of all time, and it was exactly the top ten I had. I have a, a thing in my notebook that I went back, and I had Jordan, Kareem, Wilt, LeBron, Russell, Magic, Bird, Duncan, Shaq, and Kobe, and that that doesn't have Jerry West. That doesn't have Oscar Robertson. That doesn't have some damn good players, Carmelo. And and the reason I'm circling back to this, I want to put Curry all-time top ten if he wins one here because his career isn't over. He might win another one, get his fifth. But is it going to be tough to keep Curry out of the all-time top ten because he'll be the greatest shooter of all time, and that'll knock West out? I I think – I don't want to say he'll knock Kobe out, but he's got a lot of Kobe – and when it comes to a legacy play here, and I can't move anybody out of this list. So where does Curry stand historically? Uh, that's a really good question. I think especially if he wins this one, the way he has played in these finals really adds to the legacy. He's been 
in spite of the game five over, uh, he has been unbelievably brilliant and, and still had, look, he still had assists. His defense has gotten better. He is still impacting games. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think if he gets this one, he's got, I'd have to think about that. He's got to be in serious consideration top for, 10. for top 10, just yeah. because you're, you are ultimately talking about not only four rings and two MVPs and the resume stuff, greatest shooter of all time ever and whatever you want to say of, of whoever you're you know, Kobe you're bumping or, or, or whoever you know Robertson or, or whoever bird it is hard to trump man at the end of the day the goal in this game is to put the ball in the basket and nobody's yep. better at it from range than Curry's ever been all right lunch on me or dinner whatever fits your schedule summer league coming up here I'll see you soon my friend I, I look forward to it. I'll be out there, buddy. You got it. There he is, Kurt Heelan from NBC Sports at Basketball Talk. Very important topic there. Who would you take off the top ten all time? Who? You'd have to take one guy off to put Curry in. Would you take off Magic? No. Bird? No. Shaq? You'd have the same amount of rings as Shaq, four and four. I got Kareem and Wilt and Russell on the list and Shaq. Those are four big men. Do you have? I don't even have Elijah on Stockton Malone. There's some great players out there. Curry is now one of them.